All right. God's word says this, I can do nothing on my own. I want to remind you, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things, hear this, I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may receive life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes I don't know the weightiness of the passage until I preach it the first time. I came to that conclusion at 9 o'clock. This is a heavy passage that we're presented with here this morning. This is a conversation, again, context is key, between... Uh, Jesus and some Jewish religious leaders that are uh, concerned with his healing of a man on the Sabbath. I'll begin with this. I love the Bible. It is the Word of God. It is inerrant, unchanging, and perfect. It carries the message of life. It conveys the love of God found in, in the revealing of his redemptive plan. That's what this is. It's all about God and his redemptive plan. It is, we call it this, his special revelation to us. It's his special revealing where the creation speaks of God broadly through the intricacies and systems that sustain life on earth. The Bible speaks of God clearly, directly, and conveys in his glory in ways that should stir our hearts to respond to his loving offer of grace and mercy through Jesus. It's, it's not some puzzle to wade through, but a clear proclamation in its entirety of God's majestic glory found in his making all things new through this, through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The present passage unveils this, the hardness of heart that results in man-centered religion, such as that which many of the, the Jewish religious leaders... Now, I don't, I don't want to uh, pull, pull away from the truth too much. There was people that believed, there were Jews that believed upon Jesus. Just look at his disciples. 
There were many, but there was also entrenched within the leadership and, and opposition to Jesus and his ministry. By and large, they had done this. They had taken the beautiful law of God and, and they perverted it. There's just no other way to say it. Instead of seeing this, the law had a revealing purpose. Instead of seeing its revealing purpose, Paul tells us this. He instructs us this in Romans. He says, it was the law that showed me what? My sin. The law is a revealer. And the connection of the promises of a coming Redeemer that are spoken of in the Old Testament and the insurmountable task of upholding the law should have done this. It should have driven the Jews to fall at the feet of Jesus. But instead, this is what happened. They were gripped with pride and sin and ignored His offer of grace. They scoffed at His work. They called His miracles demonic. We see that many times in the Gospels. And ultimately killed Him. Uh, But it wasn't just them. The Gentiles also killed them. And it wasn't just them. It was our sin that held our Savior to the cross. And so guard your heart. It's easy to slip into judgment on those in which Jesus is conversing in this passage. But our rush to judgment then would leave us in a similar position of pride and sin. So be careful. And if we're honest, we we now draw from this passage and we look at the present state of the church. We too within our churches have a tendency towards empty-hearted religious practice that's void of love for Christ. My heart's desire, and I think God's calling for every Bible-preaching church is that we would have a deep and abiding love for Jesus and His mission. And with this in mind, it brings us to our main idea. Our main idea for this passage is this, the Father, so Jesus is speaking context again, context is key. He's just coming out of a passage where he's talking about the will of the Father. So the context is that which the Father gives. The Father gives us this powerful witnesses to leave us without excuse to believe in Jesus. We must believe in Jesus because of the witnesses that God the Father has provided Again, my, my aim for this passage this morning is that you will grow in confidence in the faith that you have in Jesus, that you wouldn't walk out of here saying, I have some blind faith in some guy I've never seen, but that you would have a confident faith, faith that would deepen your love for Christ. This confidence will grow your, your affection and love for Him. And within that love, that, that we would have a well-ordered way of thinking. We're hitting on some logic this morning, thinking through logically. But that logic wouldn't do this. We have to guard our heart. Logic wouldn't strip affection. That both would work hand in hand. We can be sure of our faith because, I want to be clear, we can be sure of our faith because the Father has given us evidence of who Jesus is. The evidence, now, if fast-forwarding 2,000 years, present church, the, the evidence truly is all around us. The continuation of the church in history is a miracle. What else survives persecution and hatred as much as the church has against all odds? In the face of all odds, God's people endure. We see it all throughout His Word. 
The evidence is also in lives transformed. Have a conversation with the congregants around you and you will hear story after story after story about how Jesus has changed their lives. And it's evidenced in the witness of others. People willing to make much about Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 31 to 32, If I alone bear witness about myself, he says, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. The another here that I believe he's talking about is the Father. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. It's the Father that these three witnesses that we're going to look at this morning in this passage, they they come from the Father. They're a gift to open our eyes to who Jesus is. Now here Jesus is not saying that his words don't matter, but he's saying in his humanity, if he were the only one that came and there was no evidence of his redemptive work, his words would just be completely empty. But in Scripture and in history, the Father has given us witnesses so that we may be confident in our faith We can have confidence also in the claims of Christianity. And we can have confidence in the Christian worldview that stems from our faith. And we also know that those who entrust their lives to their own work, so apart from Christ, their own work, and empty religious practices that are void of love for God are hopelessly lost. That's our kind of default position when we strive to rely on our own work over and above the work of Christ on our behalf. That last point will be the conclusion of our sermon this morning. But why the importance? Jesus talks about his testimony not being true if it was just him that said it. We're going to bounce to Deuteronomy twice this morning. This is one of them. Deuteronomy 19.15. God's law had certain directions for how you could bring a charge against somebody. Somebody couldn't just accuse somebody of something. There had to be witnesses. It says this in Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Hear this. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so I believe that's informing this text, this conversation that Jesus is having with these religious leaders. And so within this passage, we're going to look at three witnesses this morning. We have three clear witnesses uh, flowing from God the Father, uh, proclaiming who Jesus is, okay? affirming who Jesus is, confirming his, his deity and his mission to seek and save the lost. Witness number one is John. I'm not talking about John the Apostle that wrote this uh, uh, book of the Bible that we're studying right now. I'm talking about John the Baptist. In John the Baptist, I want, to, I want you to hear this. We have two aspects in his ministry working to give us confidence in our faith. The first aspect is this. In Scripture, he is spoken of, he's told of in advance. We're told in advance that he would be coming ahead of the Messiah. He is the one in Scripture that the prophet spoke of that came calling in the wilderness. And he said, make straight the way of the Lord. 
Number two, another confidence-inspiring truth about John the Baptist is that he witnessed to Jesus in person. He witnessed this. It says back in John chapter 1, he witnessed in Jesus' baptism uh, the Spirit coming down in the form of a dove, and it says remaining on Jesus. He testified to that truth. And also, this is, this is incredibly important in, in John the Baptist's uh, mission, in his work, in his witness to Jesus. He also gave up power and position. If you'll remember back in John chapter 1, he lost two of his followers to Jesus. They left John and went to Jesus. And yet, even after that, John kept on proclaiming uh, who Christ was. He lost power and position. He lost followers, and he still kept pushing people to go and follow Jesus. He, he, it says this in John five thirty three to 35. He says, you sent to John, so Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, you sent to John, he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I love this, these titles that, that are connected to John. Because they're titles that we should share as a church. He says, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Oh, that we may be a burning and shining lamp for Jesus. John clearly taught that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. John confirmed Jesus' calling by witnessing the sign of the Spirit coming and remaining on Jesus. And John approved of his disciples becoming Jesus' disciples. John witnessed to this truth. He said these very words in uh, John chapter 1, verse 29 and 34. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Hear these words, Behold the Lamb of God, this is good news, who takes away the the sin of the world. And then he says this, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is an, an historical figure. He lived in history. And just as Jesus' disciples gave up their lives for the Christian faith, John ended up, it's recorded in another gospel, ended up losing his head for the truth he spoke. We can be sure of who Jesus is through the witness of John the Baptist. He is a man of his word. But in all honesty, I mean, Jesus didn't really need a human witness. His testimony, he says, is from above. But the Father does in his grace and mercy supplies exactly what we need for belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Moreover, John the Baptist is an example for us in our life following after Christ. He, again, is called, what? A burning and shining lamp. These are, these are the types of titles also given to the church by Jesus when he calls his people this in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. He calls us a shining city on a hill. Shining bright in the darkness for the whole world to see so that the world may see our light, our good deeds. It says, his word says what? And glorify the Lord. It's the purpose of the church. Witness number two is works. Witness number two is works. It's the work of Jesus, his miracles. Jesus gave us miracles. They're recorded in the gospel accounts. Even though in many ways he set aside his, his deity and his humanity, he worked in ways that only God could. It says this in verse 36. 
But the testimony that I have is, is greater than that of John. What is that testimony? For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, so there's present work and there's continued work that's going on, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. It's another witness. It's our second witness. In Jesus' earthly ministry, we have evidence in alignment with prophecy. So in the Old Testament, there are lots of prophecies about this coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfills those. What were some of those things that were foretold of? Healing. Casting out demons. Jesus did that. And being over earthly forces. We have story after story of people being healed in Scripture. Blind and lame men. Women with incessant bleeding healed not even by speaking, but just at the touch of the garment of Jesus and the dead being raised. Those are the works of Christ. He calmed the stormy seas. He, he fed the multitudes with a few loaves and some fish. It'd be like if I brought a Lunchable in here and fed all of you with one Lunchable this morning. And we, we, we preached a lot on this last week, but we just can't exhaust its glory. He gave us... His greatest miracle, his greatest miracle is his resurrection from the dead. We'll never cease to marvel at the glory of God revealed in the raising of his son from the dead. You see, we can't find his grave because he's not in it. When we come to the empty tomb, we're reminded of these words Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's alive. We're reminded that that the Father and the Son have this deep and abiding relationship. It's perfect. It says this in John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Think about, parents, think about how much you love your children and how much you want to give them good things and multiply that by an infinite number. And that's the love that you have between the Father and the Son and all that He's given to Jesus. He's given them everything. Works and miracles to show who he truly is. Witness number three is the word. When I say word, I mean this. I mean the word of God. The Bible, the scriptures. We have the word as a witness to Jesus. It says this in verse 37 to 41. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. See, we believe, family, and Scripture speaks of this, that there were, yes, human authors that wrote the books of the Bible, but they were under the inspiration of God himself. The Father who sent me has borne witness about me. Here, this, his, he, this is kind of an indictment now against these, the, the leaders. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Let me, let me pause here for a second. You have to understand, these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, they know Scripture better than probably anybody in this room. Does anybody here have the Old Testament memorized, word for word? Anyone? These men that Jesus is talking to had it memorized. Word for word. Do you feel the weight of what he's saying to them? He's saying, you you know this thing here, but it hasn't done anything to you here. 
says, His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you. They had it memorized, but it hadn't changed their lives. For you do not, why? Because they didn't see who it was all about. For you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That this is the Savior. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus is saying. What is He saying there? He's saying this whole thing is about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. Simply put, they missed the point of Scripture. Church, family, don't miss the point of the book. They only have the Old Testament at this time, and even though we've preached through books of the Bible, through books in the Old Testament, we we preached through Exodus last summer, And, and I'll say it this way, we see Jesus in the Old Testament, we see Him in types and shadows. It is still evident, it should have still been evident to them that they were fallen and in their sin and that they should have seen in the types and shadows that that they needed a sacrifice of the perfect lamb and they should have seen that God was telling them that the perfect lamb was coming and they should have known that when he was in their presence that he was there. But they were blind in their sin and stubbornness. Pride clouded their hearts. The enemy of this world had blinded their eyes. The Son of God came in the flesh, and they missed it. How heartbreaking is that? I beg of you this morning, if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, don't miss it this morning. Don't miss out on what He's done for you. You see, they they worshipped the law. They thought the law itself was the means to salvation. The law, let me make this very clear, the law was never meant to save you. We can never uphold it. We We can only have it there and be in awe of it and embrace it for what it is. What is the law for? The law is the loving revealing of our sin nature that we would know our sin. That's what Paul says. And as a result of that then, now coming from sin, it should fill our hearts. When we're confronted with Jesus, this should happen. It should fill our hearts with desperation to seek out an answer. What's the answer? The answer is only found in one way, and that's faith in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. I tell you this truth this morning, that if they were accountable just for the Old Testament books, how much more accountable are we now? Here's a truth for you. We have a fuller picture. We have the whole, we call this the canon of Scripture. We have the whole thing, Old and New Testament. 66 books that proclaim the love of God in Jesus Christ. The beautiful Word of God, and I give you this truth this morning. Don't worship the Bible. Worship the one it points to. We don't worship it. We we open it, 
And we reveal what it says through careful study and proclamation. I love what Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, has to say about Scripture. He says this, he says, defend the Bible? I'd just as soon defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible, you open its cage and you let it roar. Jesus is here, the Word of God Himself, opening the cage of the Word of God, and He's letting it roar to these people who refuse to believe upon Him. They may not believe Jesus, but the least they can do is acknowledge that the Word of God points to Him, that there was one coming. The evidence is, I conclude with this, it's stacked against those that deny Jesus. And it should encourage those who have faith in Christ to believe even more and to have confidence in the faith that we have in Jesus. That John the Baptist came and he was a light pointing to Jesus. He came in history. That Jesus worked miracles in history, proving this, that he is God in the flesh and fulfilling Scripture. He fulfilled Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that was foretold of his coming. And so we come to this, this conclusion. It's, it's heavy. I'm going to be honest with you. It's heavy this morning. We come to this, an indictment. We see the perversion of religion in this conversation. Jesus points to witnesses as, as evidence of who he is, and he, he brings an indictment against his own brothers as they continue in their unbelief. And, and this indictment is rooted in the writings of Moses. Okay, a little... I'm going to switch over to teacher mode for just a second. The first five books of the Bible, we call them the Pentateuch, and we believe the human author of those books is who? Moses. Okay? And so Moses is held in high regard among these religious leaders of, of highest regard. Moses himself, under the inspiration of the Spirit, spoke of one coming after him in Deuteronomy 18.15. The one he was pointing to is Jesus. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Deuteronomy 18.15 is a, a foretelling statement, a prophetic writing pointing to the one, that is Jesus, who now stands in this present passage before the Jews... And he also, here's the thing, we're, we're not outside of this. He stands before us today as we preach the gospel week in and week out at this church. So what accusation indictment does Jesus speak of? We see it in John 5, 42 to 47. He says, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? This is heavy right here. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Hear this. There is one who accuses you. This is what he says. Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For you, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Deuteronomy 18.15. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? A very sad section of Scripture. Later in Jesus' ministry, he'll weep over his people, over Jerusalem. 
In other words, from this passage, they may claim to be upholding the law and questioning and pushing back against Jesus and his works, but they're only stacking up accusations. They've so perverted the beautiful, redemptive plan of God and religion, void of love for him and his word, that they have rendered their hearts darkened to the truth. And in their unbelief, Jesus doesn't even have to accuse them, but the one who they claim to uphold, the writings of Moses, stands before God accusing them of their unbelief. Very sad. My prayer for our church, we have to be impacted by these heavier sections of Scripture. We can't just skip over them. My prayer is that we would not fall into this temptation. That we would not practice religion void of, void of love, but that it would have a deep and abiding love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let us not abandon the love of God found through Jesus. Let us not forfeit a deep and abiding love for Jesus in exchange for just practices of, of religion that don't mean much to the heart. I'll give some, some specifics. Devotion and prayer time is... Great. We don't worship devotion and prayer time, but we're stirred in affection toward the one who inspires us to wake each and every day to read about him and pray to him. We don't check the box of church attendance so that humans can pat us on the back, but press in to gather together so we may encourage one another and bear each other's burdens and point each other to this, to the gospel truth. We do not clench our fists tight to issue secondary to the gospel and the sin of pride and ignoring the unity that Christ brings to his church of great diversity in thought and practice. There, there's a beautiful thing that we do here at North Bullet Christian Church. On Wednesday evenings, we gather for what we call discipleship. We just call it Wednesday discipleship. We have classes. Uh, one of the classes that I like to attend is led by one of our elders, Daryl DeVore. And Daryl goes through, he'll just pick out, a, pick out a book of the Bible and just go through verse by verse and read a chunk of scripture at a time, share his thoughts, and then people in the room share their thoughts. And what's beautiful, what's encouraging to me is the diversity of thought within that room and, and the different uh, mature, places of maturity that people are in with, within their faith. And it reminds me of the unity and diversity that we have within this church. Then on the major things, we're all unified and we're good. But on the minor things, we can just kind of chop it up and, and talk and encourage each other. And it's beautiful. I love that kind of stuff. And so where do we go with this? My hope is this morning that this passage and seeing these three witnesses, seeing this, this heavy conversation that Jesus has had with these leaders, that we would in turn, as followers of Jesus, that we would believe and do this and confidently worship the one who John the Baptist proclaimed, that he, he was a light to Jesus, that we would believe and confidently worship the one who proves he is the perfect Lamb of God through his miracles, and what was his greatest miracle that he raised from the dead. And the one that we would believe and confidently worship the one whom the Word of God illuminates for us to believe upon as our own righteousness. We need the righteousness of Jesus through faith. This is what Jesus did for you. Jesus came about 2,000 years ago. He left his place at, at the right hand of the Father, and he came and he took on human flesh, and he lived 
perfectly in our place in perfect obedience to the law that every single one of us has broken. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the will of his Father. To the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His hands and feet were nailed to the cross and he shed his blood. His blood is an atoning blood, a sin-covering blood, so that all who would place their faith and trust in his work would be saved. They would not perish. They would receive eternal life. And Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and he ascended to heaven where he currently sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, and one day he's coming back to make all things new. And so I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, would you place your faith and confidence in him? You need him. You need a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, my hope is that your affections have been stirred for him this morning. You love him more. And that because of that, you will walk in obedience to his word. Amen.